the upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. And now for something completely different. Hey, I was, I'm a Hall of Famer. I'm in three Halls of Fame. For the young fans, it, they don't give a damn. They just give a damn about themselves and what they're hearing now. And I got no problem with those rules. I know the rules going in. I'm happy to play the game that way. And when Ivan came off with that uh, knee drop from the top rope and he pinned me, I thought that something happened. I couldn't hear a thing. You could have heard the pin drop in that arena. It touched me so deeply that when I went in the dressing room, I really felt depressed. I'll tell you that, I'll tell you right to his face. If it's Hogan and I, if he wanted to get in a real street fight with me, trust me, he would lose, and he knew it. You know, that's the other thing. They give you the belt, and they're like, okay, you're in charge of me. I was like, what? When you mentioned a guy like Harley Race, that kind of legendary status, it's obvious why people would get upset. Or as I'm concerned, Roddy Piper was not a wrestler. He wasn't even a good worker. If he had to go out and work his way to the top and not have good friends like Jim Barnett. I mean, I'm not I'm not saying he's not a good guy. He's just not a tough guy. Bro, I swear to you, I don't have an ego. Like, I don't give a crap. I, that stuff is not important to me. People don't know me. They have no idea of who I am. They know of me as being a fictional character that they saw on TV. People didn't understand that, you know, the guy they saw in the ring that happened to be using his real name, that happened to actually be the president of the company, they really believed that that guy that they loved to hate was actually a pretty decent guy. And I think many people have the perception that I really was that character. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of wrestling. This is the two-man power trip of wrestling, and you are listening to feature episode number eight of the two-man power trip of wrestling. And in this episode, we are going to build it up one more time, the big TMPTCon 3, the 35th anniversary of the Midnight Express and Jim Cornette, featuring our guest today, a man who knows Jim Cornette very well, the one and only WRVA's own... Jeff Katz joining the two-man power trip. And if you don't know Jeff Katz, you will get to know him in this interview. And you're going to know that he's not just a radio personality in Virginia, but he has been all over the map. And he's done a lot of great things throughout his career, including time spent inside the wrestling business doing a multitude of things, whether it's commentating, announcing, managing, putting shows together. You're going to hear straight from the man himself all of the things that Jeff Katz did in the New England area, more specifically with the Boston bad boy, Tony Rumble, which personally was the absolute highlight of this interview that we did conduct for this feature show number eight. The Boston bad boy, Tony Rumble, known very well in the New England area, was uh, one of those promoters who really, if we could have saved him and put him in a time capsule, we would bring him out right about now and see all the great things that he did back in the 90s in the Massachusetts area, and obviously losing him way too soon after passing away in 1999.
1999 and uh, a huge loss to that New England wrestling area. Uh, but Jeff's going to tell us all about the Boston Bad Boy Tony Rumble, his experiences with him, and a lot of the cool things that they did in the mid to late 90s during that huge boom period for wrestling. Uh, quite possibly never to be seen again. But I don't know. You be the judge for yourself. I think uh, that that late 90s era is uh, going to be very hard to uh, compete with in the grand scheme of things. But it's a multitude of things covered in the show. Also talking about Jeff Katz being inducted into the New England Wrestling Hall of Fame, which is very cool for Jeff. Very well deserved. And after you listen to this interview, you will understand exactly what I am talking about. But you can get to see Jeff Katz in person at TMPT Con 3, the 35th anniversary of Jim Cornette and the Midnight Express, on May 18th in Richmond, Virginia, at the Holiday Inn on Commerce Road. Visit tmptofwrestling.com for more information, guests who are announced, as well as the ticket links. Because, folks, we've been talking about it for months, but it's the big one, and it's just a mere few weeks away, and we cannot wait to get to Richmond. We cannot wait to see Jeff Katz. We cannot wait to be a part of the whole entire Jim Cornette experience. And speaking of Jim Cornette, if you want to hear more from him, you can go on to radio.com. You can search out the Jeff Katz Show, which is WRVA out of Richmond, Virginia, and you can listen to the interview that Jeff Katz just conducted with Jim Cornette talking more about TMPT Con 3 and some of their experiences together. So it's a great look into a great friendship, but as well as a great look into what is in store if you come down to TMPT Con 3, which we know you all will be. So we look forward to seeing you on May 18th. So let's wrap up this feature show nicely. Let's get it on over to the interview and listen to a little bit of Jeff Katz. Joining us back here on the two-man power trip of wrestling's feature episode is a good friend of the show, a good friend of ours. That's how we like to say it, you know, on the mafia side of things. A good good friend of ours, WRVA's own Jeff Katz, who you can hear Monday through Friday on WRVA down there in beautiful Richmond, Virginia, who will be joining us on May 18th at TMPT Con. Jeff, it's been a long time coming, but a pleasure to have you on the airwaves. Oh, I've been looking forward to this a long time. I think it's going to be great fun. 
Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun, especially in Richmond coming in a few weeks. We'll get to that in a couple minutes. You yourself have a few big things going on in not only uh, the Richmond area where you are a, a national treasure, that's to say the least, but also uh, a big, big, big Hall of Fame induction coming up for you in uh, the New England area. And we'll get into that in a second as well. But hey, TMPT Con, you were there last year. You kind of got a lay of the land, what we like to do. But this year, adding in somebody that you've got a good association with in Mr. James E. Cornett. What are you thinking about with this uh, event coming up here and what the uh, the two-man power trip is bringing down to this Richmond area with this Midnight Express reunion? Well, I'm going to tell you something. Given the fact that Richmond has been such a hotbed of, of wrestling over the years, obviously NWA Mid-Atlantic stuff that came through the Richmond Coliseum and the uh, and the Scope in Norfolk and all every every place in between, uh, I'm expecting a wonderful, wonderful response. And clearly, Jim Cornette and every portion of the Midnights, right? Uh, it's not just Sweet Stan Lane. It's not just Bobby Eaton. Have Dennis Condry there as well. First time in what, 35 years that they're all going to be back together? This is going to be amazing. And it's going to be one of those situations that I know uh, for folks that used to go to the Coliseum, especially and Boo, the living tar out of these guys. They are going to be thrilled to see him up close and personal. And uh, Jim Cornette is just one of those guys. I always look at him as he has a Ph.D. in wrestling. He is a professor uh, of, of the sweet science of wrestling. And so it's going to be great to uh, uh, be able to spend some time with him again. I mean, he's just uh, he's a brilliant guy. And as you know, uh, as we would say in New England, he is wicked funny. <laughs> he's a wicked pisser, right? Is that what you'd say? <laughs> but yeah, no, he's an absolute treasure to wrestling. But I love that Richmond fan base, and yes. they had so much wrestling going on there during the Crockett era, and even the WWF always come yep. into town. Richmond seemed to be one of those hotbeds that everybody would kind of congregate on, and those fans are so knowledgeable and so respectful of the history of the business. That's it's right. hard to believe that the Midnights were bad guys because you wouldn't know with the response we've had because so many people love to love those bad guys. You know, they might have had yeah. to boo them back in the day, but the respect and the revere they have for them, it's uh, it's off the charts. And that's been shown so far, at least on our end, with the response we've had to this event. Yeah, you know, there, there's certain parts of the country that uh, the heels were really the true faces. And that was uh, that was certainly the case here in Richmond. Uh, as I was growing up in Philadelphia, not so much, believe it or not. We were uh, uh, we, we wanted our heroes to win. When I was growing up, my, my guy was Pedro Morales and he could do no wrong. And uh, for a crowd that was slightly older, it was Bruno San Martino. And uh, in Boston, in the old Boston Garden, you know, it was a 50-50 thing. They, they loved uh, the Brunos and the Pedros, but boy, they, they also liked uh, uh, some of the guys they weren't supposed to like. And uh, what Arn Anderson told me uh, not too long ago, what Ric Flair told me uh, about a year or so ago about Richmond, is that uh, the Coliseum used to run on Saturday nights. So you had people who didn't have to be at work the next day. Uh, as Arn pointed out, there was generally uh, there was some recreational activities before the matches for uh, uh, for the fans, and uh, they were into it 110 percent. You could tell, yeah. you really yeah. could tell, and, and it's really a shame that there's not as much going on. Maybe there will be with these uh, new companies that are starting to sprout up, and I know WWE does go to Richmond a, a good amount during the year. They usually actually around this WrestleMania time, they would right. always kind of head there, have a big show. Um, 
But that that golden age, those nineteen eighties years, I mean, Mid Atlantic, Jim Crockett Promotions, NWA, whatever you want to say, they were in that area and you, you like I said, you feel it. And last year, even though we went with more of like a nitro feel to the show, right. they still had a ton of history in Richmond. And even talking to Kevin Nash, he would just spout off, Oh, well, we did this in Richmond. And, hey, this was the first night the NWO got aggressive was in Richmond and right. uh even tying in his diesel character, uh the night that Diesel cut his infamous, you know, kind of tweener promo was in Richmond. So they can always right. kind of pinpoint certain spots and oh, yeah. being one that these guys absolutely love being to, but you know, you now making uh, Richmond a great home for yourself, having so many ties to the new England area. And obviously, you know, growing up in Philadelphia, I mean, you really yeah. had some major, uh, <laughs> you got some major wrestling on your resume just from the watching perspective, but yes. talking about what you're doing in new England, I mean, you've spent many years up there and especially in the wrestling world. And now you and I have, we've talked about it a little bit personally, but I'm just curious to kind of pick your brain now as to some of the things that you did, because I know you worked a little bit behind the scenes. You did some yeah. ring announcer work as well but tell us a little bit about this upcoming hall of fame induction into the new england pro wrestling hall of fame and what you did up there in that uh, glorious region of the country well i'm excited about it it happens in june to be inducted into the uh, new england pro wrestling hall of fame is uh, is, is just one of those things that uh, uh really for me is a, is a high mark now uh, my very first experience in the business uh i was a i was a little baby uh, radio personality in Atlantic City, New Jersey, and there were there was a guy by the name of Larry Sharp, pretty boy Larry Sharp, and he oh, opened yeah. what he really was the first ever pro wrestling school, the Monster Factory. Yep. And uh, I had him on my radio show, and it made no sense at all given the what we were really doing on the air. But you know, Larry was a smart guy, and he came on, and uh, he invited me up, and uh, I got in there, and he said, "Okay, so." Here's what you need to do. I'm going to teach you how to uh, how to fall. And I said, okay. And he's he's explaining to me, and I, I'm I'm terrible. I mean, to put it mildly. And and he he brings up a guy that uh, everybody knows at this point, uh, Glenn Roof, right? And yep. uh, Glenn went on with the uh, with the Headbangers, but at the time he was working in, as a character called the Spider. And uh, Glenn comes in, and and Larry says to him, okay, well kneel down, and Jeff, I'm gonna I'm gonna push you over him. This is how you're going to learn how to fall. And before I'm ready, he does it. He does it a couple of times. He says, look, here's the deal. Uh, you're really bad. <laughs> you're going to be a talk. And uh, I said, okay, that I know how to do. And so over the years, I've worked in a, in a variety of uh, promotions uh, all across the country. You know, as I was traveling for radio, I was also doing wrestling and I was, uh, I was a manager here. And, you know, my very first event, uh, uh, actually, in New Jersey, was as a ring announcer at the uh, the Cowtown Rodeo, and uh, Gary Michael Capetta talks about it. I mean, it was it was a sea of mud. Is it's just <laughs> it was outside? It was terrible, and I didn't know any better. I had gone out. I had purchased a tuxedo, and I <laughs> I wore that to the ring and had to get through this this pasture with cow droppings and mud. And I mean, it was it was ridiculous, but. At the end of it, I thought, wow, I'm in this business. How cool is that? And uh, in New England, when I made my uh, my way up to New England uh, to do mornings at uh, uh, WRKO, uh, I uh, hooked up with a gentleman by the name of uh, Tony Rumble, the Boston bad boy, uh, and, and we became very, very fast friends. 
And so I did all of the television. Uh, I did color, I did play-by-play, -play, and then I became much more of a character on our program. It was called Mass Madness. And eventually for the NWA, it was it was a national show, Mass Madness. And I I was always uh, I was always sort of the confused good guy, you know. I didn't understand why why the Brotherhood, which is our our real main uh, heel team, why they were taking these shortcuts. They were so talented, and they didn't have to do that. Uh, and we would do the television. In addition to that, uh, we did the six New England states for NWA New England. So I would get off the air at WRKO. Nine or ten Friday morning, we'd all pile into uh, my old Isuzu Trooper. There'd be a half a dozen of us, right? And we'd have a show Friday night, two shows on Saturday, one on Sunday, and then everybody went back to their day job on Monday. And so we did that for for years. And uh, you know, I was friends with guys like Bobby Heenan, and I was doing TV with uh, with Lou Albano and Jim Cornette. And I and I kept saying to Tony, I said, man, you know, space stuff is is interesting, and I know we need it to get over, but God, I want to be a heel. Don't you understand? I'm <laughs> and anger people. And he said, all right. And so we, uh, you know, we had sort of a heel turn, and I, I came out now not as the TV guy, but the guy who had sold out. And now I was a heel manager, and, and I just loved that. And, uh, you know, I wound up being responsible for our NWA World Tag Team Champions, uh, that was the Brotherhood. I managed them to an, a, a stunning loss in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina. <laughs> and uh, if memory serves, I think I was responsible somehow, some way. And, you know, uh, but yeah, I spent a lot of time and a lot of miles uh, on the road in New England with some really, really great guys. And uh, to be honored this way, to be named and inducted into the New England Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame is just, uh, it, it just does my heart good. No, it's really cool, and I'll tell you, I mean, I've watched some, like, pro wrestling rarities throughout YouTube, and you see a lot of the New England footage, and you'll see you pop up every so often, yeah. you know, whether you're at ringside or whether you're in the ring with the uh, the mic, and it's kind of funny to see, it's like, hey, I know that guy, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of funny to see the matches that would go through there, but talk about what a hot time to be in the business, oh, yeah. especially in the Northeast, so obviously I grew up in Jersey, so right. in the mid to late 90s when the boom hit, I mean, you're talking high school gyms with 2,000 people in them. You know, you're talking little Absolutely. spot shows with hundreds and hundreds of people because any time there was wrestling going on, it, it was an absolute happening. And you saw those, uh, you know, the guys who were either just past their time in the right. WWF or in the case of that New England and New Jersey and New York area, you were able to have a working relationship with the WWF and have some WWF guys pop up every so often. Yeah. And that's how, you know, we would see these massive shows, but that time in the business was an absolute amazing time to be at ringside or in the ring call and stuff, because maybe we'll see something like it again, but something about those couple of years there, I don't know. It was very special. It was almost like that lightning in a bottle that you should catch because I don't know. We may not see it again. Yeah, I don't know that we will. You know, it, it's funny because you'll hear Jim Cornette, as an example, talk about how pro wrestling is dead. And, you know, we 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 all protected this business for the longest time. And then it was exposed in the way that it was. And and there's just something that 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 is different about it in this day and age. And uh, when when I was really involved, hot and heavy, I, I could have told you the location of every National Guard armory and every high school gymnasium and every middle school gymnasium. 
uh, everywhere in New England and uh, and a number of others across the country. Uh, you know, it, it was interesting. One of the uh, one of the first shows I ever worked uh, was uh, in the uh, where was it? It was in Ben Salem, Pennsylvania, and uh, I was sitting back in the locker room. And I'm sitting there with Jerry Lawler, and uh, I had grown up not watching Jerry Lawler, obviously, because he wasn't in the Philadelphia area. He was always in Memphis. I had read about him in the aftermags and stuff like that. So here I was. I'm sitting back in the locker room. I'm talking with Jerry Lawler. What was funny about it is that Jerry was not talking about wrestling. He had finished talking about football, which was his real passion. And as many people know, Jerry is just an incredibly talented artist. And so he was talking about art, and we were we, we were talking about literature, uh, <laughs> Gulliver's Travels, and what the real symbolism of Gulliver's Travels was, and, and, and all this interesting stuff. And then his music hit, and the crowd went on, and boom, he went out, and uh, he did his, his thing. And uh, it, was, it was just an amazing time to be part of this and to see some of these guys that and I had only read about maybe ten years earlier, but now to be involved in such a way that uh, I was accepted in that locker room and I, I could have these conversations, and uh, it, it was just amazing. And you, you mentioned working uh, sometimes in, in New England, especially where we had relationships with uh, with the McMahons, and and you'd have some of those folks come in. And I was uh, I was in a WrestleMania, and this was just an amazing thing because this was, uh, I mean, it was huge. It was at the uh, the Boston Garden. I don't even remember what we we're calling it that way. I mean, they've been through a, a number of uh, uh, name changes, but uh, they they needed druids for the Undertaker. <laughs> so what do they do? They reach out to NWA New England and say, "Hey, listen, we need a half a dozen guys or ten guys, whatever it was," and so. I got the call, and we, we, we all traveled together on a regular basis. We worked together. So we're down there, and uh, it, it was – number one, it was fascinating to see the production value, which I know you appreciate. Uh, Absolutely. Uh, as, as a professional of this, to see the, the miles of tables and hundreds of people who were ready to, to put on a, an absolute barn burner of a show. But I'm standing there, and if you ever look at the video, every once in a while, I will, I'll look at the video or I'll post a still photo. I'm number three on the right-hand side. <laughs> so we're standing there, and as we're doing a, a, a rehearsal, Vince McMahon comes walking down. And, you know, he's got that swagger that is absolutely unmistakable. And he comes down, and he's, he's looking left, he's looking right, he's going, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and he gets in front of me, goes, hmm, kind of short, and keeps walking. I go, oh, I've got my gimmick boots on. I've got lifts anyway. And it's like, you know, I, this, this, I'm, I'm as tall as I am. What can I do? And I, and I, I realized that, listen, he's got, he's got the Undertaker coming down. This is a guy who's making him $100 million a year. And he doesn't want some short local dope <laughs> setting him on fire. I get it. But uh, thankfully, we got to do it. And uh, it, it was just an absolutely amazing experience. And to, to look at the, uh, the wonderful professionalism. And this was where, you know, you had Pete Rose getting taken out of the ring. And Mike Tyson was there. And it was the whole Sean uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin. I mean, it was just... It's an amazing time, and uh, just to have been a part of it, 
for a couple of hours, you know, to to enter the Boston Garden through the back and to, to go to uh, craft services where it was an amazing, you know, it was, it was like a gourmet spread. And you go, well, it's a good thing. I'm and I and by the way, I I still have somewhere in the basement. I've still got that druid robe. Wow. Now that's a collector's <laughs> item. That's hey, that's WrestleMania 14. That's the dawning of the Austin era. That is like really. You know the the peak and then the yeah. catalyst for what yeah. was going to come over the next couple of years. That's that's incredible. I didn't know that. That's a great yeah. uh, that's a great story. But that that group in Boston, that that crew that you guys had, and especially Tony Rumble, who yes. I mean, I a guy who I read about. You read the results. You'd always see Boston Bad Boy Tony Rumble, and you know, at the yeah. time, that's the only way we were able to to learn about guys outside of our area. Then yeah. as the advent of YouTube would come in and you'd start to see people upload clips, there's somebody from New England that has a ton of footage that they yeah. put up there. And I'd watch some of the Boston bad boy. And I remember that he did pass away very, very young. Yeah. But wow, was he a great, just agitating heel character. I can't imagine what he was like to deal with behind the scenes. <laughs> Obviously gone way too soon. But talk about the Boston bad boy and kind of what you learned from him. Well, I'll tell you something. Tony uh, became like a brother, and uh, I bought my house because it was two blocks away from where Tony lived. And I would get off the air every morning at WRKO. I'd be home. I was single at the time. I'd be home by 10, 1030 in the morning, and I would go over to have a cup of coffee with Tony at his house, and I wouldn't leave till 3 or 4 in the afternoon. And <laughs> so we would... You know, we, we would sit there and we would come, we would develop characters and we would uh, we would work on, on, on storylines and, and, and we would make these plans. And I, I was fortunate enough to promote a couple of shows with him as well, in addition to all the stuff in front of the camera and, uh, and in the ring. And he, he was a brilliant man. And, I, and most people don't necessarily appreciate that. They've seen his, you know, his character, if you will. Uh, but behind the scenes, what was amazing about Tony and what has always remained with me, Tony was a sweetheart. And Tony reached out to people and included them one way or another, even very, very tangentially in the business uh, because he was looking out for folks, you know, and uh, he had a whole crew of people that uh, that that just would never have had another shot. And uh, they were, look, they were never going to... Stanford. They were never going to Atlanta, uh, but he was able to give them a little something. Now, in addition to that, he he also helped create some amazing talent and develop some amazing talent. And we would spend hours and hours and hours back in the days of VHS, and we would watch all sorts of uh, videos that people sent from all over uh, the country and uh, say, yeah, we're going to bring them in. No, that's not somebody that... Uh, that we're going to be able to use, but he had such an, an incredible mind uh, for the business. And, you know, when he passed away, what was, I mean, it was an awful situation. I was sitting in my house again, I lived two blocks away and I was sitting there. And uh, at, by this point I, I was married and uh, Tony's stepdaughter came, rang the, uh, you know, knocked on the, on the door, rang the bell and she's, she's bawling hysterically. And I said, what's the matter? She said, well, Tony died. And so I turned to my wife and said, well, I'm going to go down there for a little bit. And I, I was there basically for the next two days. And Tony had uh, an old style phone book that he had everybody's uh, name written down, their phone number. And I, I literally spent the next day, day and a half calling 
superstars in the wrestling world to tell them Tony had passed away. And it was, for me, it was a, a thoroughly enlightening experience because I knew Tony was brilliant in terms of the business. He really was. And I knew that he had all these connections and we could see it when they would come in to do spot shows for us or TV for us. Uh, but to, to call and, and have to break the news to Mick Foley that, that Tony had passed away and then wind up on the phone for, for 15 or 20 minutes hearing even more stories uh, about Tony. It, it, was, it was an amazing time. And um, he, was, he was just a great guy. He really was just a, a thoroughly decent person. And uh, I, I've missed him ever since he's, he's passed away. Yeah, it's hard to believe. I mean, 1999, you know, that he passed yeah. away. And I mean, that, again, is in the height of everything that was going on. So, you know, yeah. had he had he lived and had he, uh, you know, experienced a few more years on the scene, what do you think he would have done in terms of how the business evolved? And then obviously, you know, the, the major companies kind of closing down. What do you think yeah. he would have done, you know, post uh, the, you know, the Attitude Era and post all these other companies kind of folding? Well, I tell you, Tony, I, I had had a vision, and uh, Tony would have been the first one to tell you, and he would tell you on a regular basis that when it came to actually wrestling in the ring, he was one of the worst guys ever. He just did not <laughs> make much of his own work, but he had an eye for people. He could he could look at uh, uh, Taz before he was Taz and go, "Hey, here's how this guy should do this, and here's what he should do, and here's here's the way the gimmick should look, and here's the way the whole thing." Uh, should play out. And he did that over and over and over again. And I think that he, at some point, uh, had he lived, uh, I think he probably would have been involved, not necessarily uh, with WWF or or even WCW, although he had these great connections. You know, we would have Kevin Sullivan come in and, and another one who's like a professor. Uh, you know, you'd sit and talk with Kevin in the locker room for hours uh, and it was it was just such an amazing experience. But to listen to Kevin and Jim Cornette say, hey, Tony, what do you think of this? And to watch them play out what on television would have been almost a, a three month arc. You know, it was it was incredible. Uh, the other great thing about Kevin Sullivan coming in was that I finally wasn't the shortest one in <laughs> Very cool. But I think Tony could have been some point maybe in a you know a TNA a ring of honor one of these other uh challengers if you will to the to the bigger promotions because he was he was very much a, an indie guy uh he was a territory sort of guy i think he really liked that i don't think that he would have thrived in a in a corporate uh sort of setting and uh in fact when ESPN came in we were uh one of the original folks profiled that our, our team was on uh, outside the lines for ESPN. And they watched us, you know, at a booking meeting and how we were, were crafting this. And um, there were folks who said to, to each of us on one level, Hey, are you going to go to this place? Are you going to go to that place? And Tony's like, no, I'm good. You know, this is, this is what he wanted to do. And I think, I think if it had a slightly bigger footprint with a slightly bigger company, he would have done great, but again, Tony was not a was not a suit and tie boardroom sort of a guy. <laughs> you know, there's another guy who got his start in New England that likes to wear a suit these days and uh, be the number two at the uh, the big company there in Stanford. So New England and uh, its history in pro wrestling, you know, yeah. you, you can't deny it. But let's kind of bring it back to Richmond and what we've got yeah. coming on here. A couple weeks away, 
We've got a, a very big Jim Cornette and the Midnight Express 35th anniversary celebration. So in right. your relationship with Jim, you know what it means to him to have the Midnight Express together. We already talked about how, yeah, they haven't gotten together like this in a long time. And especially right. on this 35th anniversary year that they are doing some shows, there are not many, maybe one other one where it's the three, Stan, yeah. Dennis and Bobby together with Jim. It's usually just either Stan and Bobby or Dennis and Bobby right, or Dennis. Right. And Stan. It's never the three guys together like this with Jim. So this really is a unique experience. But the Jim Cornette experience is the other mm-hmm. thing we're really pushing here. And Jim's going to be doing a full Jim Cornette experience after the convention's over where we're going to have a nice little uh, little free gift for everybody. We're going to have yeah. a commemorative photo and Jim is being so kind as to throw a little pizza party down there in Richmond. So with you being a part of that and you having this uh, Jim Cornette history, what do you think the fans have to look forward to with this Jim Cornette experience? Now, now it might not be for the, uh, you know, the, the week of hearing if it comes to some expletives, but um, obviously you give Jim Cornette a live mic, anything can happen. Absolutely. Boy, I'm going to tell you right now, you're going to, you're going to want to strap yourself in. You're going to want to bring a big roll of duct tape to put around your head because there's going to be stuff he says that's going to make your head explode. <laughs> uh, Jim is brilliant. He is lively. He is colorful. He is funny. Uh, he does not hold back on anything. And uh, I think it's going to be a thoroughly unique uh, experience for anybody who even saw one match that Jim Cornette was involved in, let alone somebody who may have watched him throughout his career, watched him uh, as he traveled around the country, watched him as he he launched uh, Smoky Mountain, watched his time uh, being bitter and miserable in Stanford because he was also not <laughs> a corporate guy. Uh, I, it's going to be a great time. I'm going to tell you something. I, I, am, I am blessed to, to know a lot of people in this business, and, and some of them are nicer than others, and some of them are more interesting than others, but there is nobody, and I mean nobody, uh, like James E. Cornette, and I don't know, I don't even know what the ticket price is. Whatever it is, it's too low because you're going to get you're going to get a value when you you have the opportunity to be up close uh, and personal with Corny. That uh, man, it, you're you're going to love it. It is it is just a again, it's a lesson almost in the business of pro wrestling. Uh, it is an experience. I think the fact that it's called the Jim Cornette Experience is absolutely spot on. Uh, because it is a thoroughly unique experience, and I can tell you that you will never, ever have an experience like it again. And he's got the and cult of Cornette, right? and obviously oh, yeah. the cult, uh, that that's a fitting name for those uh, very diehard supporters Absolutely. of Jim and all the uh, the things going on. So we really are looking forward to having everybody come out for this show. If you're a fan of the Crocodera Midnight Express, if you're a fan yeah. of just the Cornette shoot, you know, all the infamous videos that are out there. <laughs> if you're a fan of that, there's something for everybody, including in this show, there's going to be a large ECW reunion. Now we've got oh, wow. the franchise. We've got, uh, actually the franchise, Shane Douglas and Francine for the first time ever in Richmond wow. together. They were never booked together in Richmond. Francine came in after Shane had left in, in uh, to the Richmond area. But whenever they were paired, there was never an ECW show in that Richmond area. So this is a first-time pairing. But now we also just added the Sandman 
Jerry Lynn and Justin Credible. So all those ECW guys passed through New England at some point. That's right. So <laughs> you know what to expect with ECW. So there's really something for everybody. But Jeff, I mean, we're looking forward to having you there. We're, we're really happy for you and the New England Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame. I mean, well-deserved. And thank you for sharing a couple of those stories. Uh, it, it's going to be an amazing couple of weeks there for you. But please tell us one more time about what's going on with the Hall of Fame, where they can find information about it, if they're going to be in the New England area, if they can get sure. tickets. I know it's a part of the big New England Fan Fest that's going that's on. That's right that weekend. So please uh, let us know about that. And then we'll, uh, we'll kind of wrap this guy up afterwards. Absolutely. Now I'm, let me double check the date. Cause I don't want to mess this one up. I hang on a second. <laughs> this, is this, this is this. Oh, there it is. It is June the 7th. Uh, it's going to be in Warwick, Rhode Island at the uh, crown Plaza hotel. And it's, it's an amazing thing. They've got a, they've got a big VIP dinner ahead of time. They've got uh, the hall of fame induction. They're going to have uh uh, Bill Apter is going to do a, a sort of a meet and greet uh, along with uh, uh, Greg Valentine and the Honky Tonk Man afterwards. And it's all part of this amazing uh, New England Fan Fest. This will be number seven. And that's uh, Joe Bruin, who has put these on for years, does an amazing job. I know there are tickets online. Uh, it's all over Facebook. Again, it's uh, New England Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame. And again, I'm excited. I look at some of the folks who have been inducted. Over the years, uh, Jim Cornette got inducted a couple of years back for his, uh, he, and, and in fact, his work in New England was mostly, mostly for us, NWA New England. Jimmy Valiant was inducted a couple of years ago. You've got, you've got just some of the, the, the biggest stars nationally, as well as a lot of folks that, as I said, we put a lot of miles on, on cars and uh, uh, everywhere from uh, Connecticut to Maine and sometimes over, over the border and, and, and into New York and Canada. Uh, but I'm excited about it again, and it is the New England Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame. It's going to take place at the Crown Plaza Hotel in Warwick, Rhode Island on June the 7th. And I know there are still tickets available, so anybody who wants to come out, we'd love to see them. Absolutely. And for TMPTCon, the tickets are available at TMPTofWrestling.com, and there you'll have the ticket link for brown paper tickets where we have all the portals for all that stuff. And you will be in attendance there. It's the Jim Cornette 35th Anniversary Celebration and Experience. But as we wrap this guy up here, I'm going to hand it over to you. Please share with the listeners of the two-man power trip where they can find anything and everything in the world of Jeff Katz. Obviously, WRVA <laughs> radio down there in Richmond, Monday through Friday. But yep. please share all the information you have. They can listen to you on radio.com. That's where I end up getting you because I'm just a little bit out of the listening range. A little bit, yeah. little, just a tad, just a little hair. <laughs> if I move like maybe like five feet to the right, that's I can right. get you uh, on the radio dial. But radio.com, that's where I listen to you. But I please appreciate that. Share it with the, uh, with the listeners of the two-man power trip. Jeff, the floor is yours. Sure. Uh, for those who are here in Central Virginia, of course, it's uh, News Radio WRBA. It's 96.1 FM. It's 1140 on the AM. It's, it's all the time on radio.com. Uh, if you want to check stuff out online, News Radio WRBA.com, News Radio WRBA.com. Twitter, uh, Twitter handle is Jeff Cat Show. On Facebook, you can look for Jeff Cats or look for the Jeff Cat Show. We'd love to have people. Uh, become involved in that. And the show, as as you know, is, uh, I like to say, eclectic. It can be political at times. Uh, it can be about lifestyle issues that I'm having at home, and sometimes they're more than others, right? And, <laughs> and of course, uh, let's face it, there's an awful lot of wrestling that pops up just because it's my show, and I can do that, and I, and I like to do that. So 
Uh, NewsRadioWRVA.com, probably the best place to uh, make your first stop. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and we'll uh, definitely, we'd love to have you back on in the future. We'll get John involved here. I'm sure he'll have a lot to say about that uh, New England. He'll be picking your uh, your brain about the Druids absolutely. and want to know who's standing on the left or right of you. So we'll uh, we'll dive into that next time. But really appreciate you finally uh, getting on the airwaves with us and uh, chatting a little bit about the Hall of Fame. And obviously, congratulations. Very well deserved. Thank you very much, my friend. We're looking forward to seeing you here in Richmond in uh, just a couple of weeks. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. What the world is downloading.